0: episode 61 Andy <laughs> how do you feel about uh, being 61 episodes into the renaissance oh,
1: I, I truly am not I'm enjoying the renaissance more than I thought I was going to because I kind of lied to you when I said yeah let's do it so not only am I enjoying it <laughs> I am fucking enjoy, but this thing the swerve Paggio the ancient manuscripts the effect that this book had on the world that we take for granted now absolutely loving it i think this is my favorite part so far so i'm good i
0: can't wait to go back to italy and, oh yeah and florence you having go done all of this because i just i just feel so much more yes connected yes. to and, and 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 a deeper understanding of florence and and the history of the renaissance next time we go back man we're going to be yeah I'm gonna appreciate it so much more Absolutely. than I think I have the other times I've been there. Absolutely. I mean I loved it. I wanna to move to Florence. I wanna live in Florence. Yeah, you said that you know. when it's we like,
1: were there, yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'm still Chrissy and I still talk about it all the time. Well, when we make our millions That's right. When those podcasting <laughs> millions start rolling in
1: <laughs> Donate very donate often.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Move to Florence. There you go. Um You burned it. So in our last episode, we, we we talked about how Poggio went to England, uh, which was a huge disappointment. Then he got another job at the Vatican. Yeah, baby. Wrote, wrote a book and lots of letters saying, "Listen, church is fucked. You guys are all fucked. You're a bunch of you're a bunch of cunts, really. You're corrupt, <laughs> banging married women all over the place. Yeah, Religions. I've got a bunch of illegitimate kids, but yeah. doesn't matter. I'm not a member yeah. of the Holy Ors. Do whatever the hell Priest. I want. Yeah. Um, don't tell me what to do." Um, and he started to make good money. Uh, according to tax records, uh, he uh, after he got back from England, he really started to make a lot of cash right. and started to buy some property, started to collect uh, his own antiquities. Right. Uh, in 1427, only five years after he got back to Italy, he wrote to a, fr- uh, a friend... I have a room full of marble heads. <laughs> so, you know, he's starting to build yeah. his own collection. He's not relying on Niccolo or, or Cosimo right. funding his ventures now. And in that same year, 1427, he purchased a house in Terra Nuova, a small town in Tuscany, not far from Florence, mm-hmm. same place where uh, he was born. And over the next few years, he gradually builds up his property holdings in Terra Nuova starts to prepare for the next phase of his life. And, uh, in fact, it was said that he raised money for the purchase of this house by uh, copying a manuscript of Livy, mm-hmm. his history of Rome, and selling it for 120 gold florins. Hey. So he's making do. money. as. Yeah. As people are developing an appreciation for manuscripts themselves, right, and he's got the most beautiful handwriting outside of maybe Niccolo, mm-hmm. in uh, in Italy, right. uh, you 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 want to want a nice copy of something? You go to Poggio, he do, he does it uh, on the side, charges a shit ton of cash for it, <laughs> so he's doing yep. well, and then. <laughs> Yeah. In 1436, at the age of
1: 56, he finally
0: <laughs> married.
1: Oh, he married his mistress. That's nice. Oh, he made a decent woman of her. Um, well, you know, Ray, if you're going to buy a
0: car, right. do you want to buy an old rust bucket that, like my car, right. like 25 years old, Falling apart at the seams. Been
1: driven by everybody. Or. Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Punched out 14 little cars. Uh, its exhaust pipe is sort of a bit loose and floppy. Or. Oh
1: God. Right? right. Do you want a brand new car?
0: Straight off. Mmm. The smell. The smell of the new, new car smell, Ray. Tight tight car when you get in that seat oh, you can feel the seat wraps around you it's tight can't blame a man for wanting a new car
1: no I guess not Oh, so he gets married
0: oh. that's why Chrissy had a c-section
1: <laughs> she can keep it tight I'm not losing this. Keep hand. it tight. Yeah. <laughs> no. Be- yeah. Before you go on to his wedding nuptials, I do I do want to say that um when he bought that land back where he was born and he bought the house and he acquired things, that was actually a much bigger deal than it may seem because when he was young, his father was chased out of town for debt. So now the son is back, he's throwing money He's making it rain, and now he has restored the family name and the fam- family honor, which you know he enjoyed that very much. And so I just wanted that pointed out. So for all the shit he's been through, now the money is really coming in, and he's going back and he's putting the stamp on his where he was born. Life is good. And now you're telling me he's going to marry, and he's training up, and he's getting a new car. Good for him. Good for Pagia.
0: <laughs> Boy, he's, is he getting a new car? Oh straight
1: off. Yeah, he, he marries an eighteen year old. Yes. He How doesn't,
0: is he? doesn't is he? uh fifty six okay. marries an eighteen year old. So he's about about your age. How <laughs> old are you now? Fifty two? Fifty two. Yep. Fifty two? Yeah, four years from now. Can you see yourself <sighs> marrying an eighteen year old? Yes, like no. No, no. We happy. We have We have some eighteen-year-old listeners of the podcast. (laughs) A lot lot of, lot of female uh, university students send send me their ID cards and say, "Can I get a free subscription to the show?" And I'm like, "Well, boom, free and yeah, sure, yeah." But you might, you know, you might have to marry Ray in a couple of years. That's well,
1: let me. Let me make it even worse. Because I won't be 56 for four years, if we have any 14-year-olds out there. No, just joking. Just joking. Please don't send us anything. If you're 14, please do not. <laughs> <laughs> it's hour three, and I'm tired. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: Care of Jeffrey
1: Epstein. At, uh... <laughs> Trump Tower. Fucking prison he's going right. to end up in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know who lived right across the road from him? Who? Bill Cosby.
0: Oh! <laughs> oh the parties they
1: must have had. That's right. Staring into each other's um, days. The The town
0: where Poggio uh, bought his house and started buying up all the property today yes. is known as. Terra Nuova Ooh, nice. It's a municipality in the province of Arezzo in uh, Tuscany. Nice. So there you go. He has, town is named after him now because of uh, his influence. There you go. He lives on. Yeah. Lives on in the name of Terra Nuova so, uh, yes, he married an 18-year-old from one of the ancient families of Florence and got a lot of criticism right. uh, from friends like Nicky the Nickster yes. for, for getting married at all right. uh, at his age, let alone marrying a young woman. So he wrote a book about it called Should an Old Man Marry? Right. Um, in which he made the argument that it made sense... For an old man to marry a young woman, yeah, uh, because he could m- mould her like wax <clears throat> to his will. He said, "Look, I could marry a woman my age, but right. she's going to have opinions. Yeah, oh my um, God. and I, and she's going to want to have a say in things. Mm-mm, mm-mm. Uh, that's 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 no fun.
1: That's not right.
0: Um, where, where's the?" Where's the upside in that? She's probably got a floppy pussy. I mean, I, I don't. I, I, I've honest. already got one of those. Where's the upside in that? Yeah. Um. Yeah. I want I, I want I want that new car smell. <laughs> so. To <laughs> be our next coffee mug. New car smell.
1: Uh, an eighteen-year-old. Yeah. Yeah. But Paggio would have the last laugh. Yeah, so his, um, so his uh, back and forth with Nikki the Nickster doesn't really matter because he, in the end, gets to uh, giggle last because she doesn't kill him in the bedroom, even though, let's be honest, that's a hell of a way to go. They live together for many years, almost 25 years. So he marries her. She gets molded like the wax that she is. They seem to have a generally uh, nice life together. They're going to have five sons and one daughter. And so life is generally good for them. So, again, he, things turn out, again, good for him, and he's and he's kind of earned it at this point. Did you happen to catch the name of his one daughter? Uh, no, it's not in my notes. Lucretia. Lucretia.
0: Oh, nice. Yes.
1: Wow. Yes. Nice. But, but to balance that out, did you read about Jacopo, one of his sons?
0: I did, yes. Okay. I did read about his sons. Go ahead if you yeah. want to. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, he, he had five sons and a daughter to uh, the, the young wife. Right. Now, four of the sons had ecclesiastical careers, uh, which I find ironic because right. he was he turned down Many offers to join yes. Holy Orders. They said, listen, we'll nope. make you a bishop. We'll make you a cardinal. Nope. Fuck all the bitches that you want. Little boys. Nope. It's all great. Just got to get Join day. the church. Yep. And he said, no, nah, f- fuck that. I don't want to yeah. be part of that. That's bullshit. But um, you're you all a bunch of dicks. But uh, four of his sons joined the church and had ecclesiastical right. careers. One, uh, Yacopo, uh got caught up in a conspiracy ironically against the Medici in fourteen seventy eight, which we right. will talk about in a future episode. Yes. And was hung. Yes. Not like a horse. Just no. just just, just hung. hung.
1: Just hung. Yeah. Mm. Now mm. the other the other sad part of this is Paggio's mistress and their probably fourteen kids. We don't really know what happens to them. I don't think there's any records that survive. And so did he use some of his money to set them up? Did he cut them off? I couldn't find out anything in particular. So um, I don't know if it's really fair to judge or to assume based on you know a complete lack of evidence. But considering the times, I mean, it probably didn't go well for them, but I'm only guessing.
0: Well, I think that's the advantage of having fourteen kids to a mistress. Is you yeah. can just go, away. Hey. I'm out and Duh, walk away. 5,000. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm lesson learned. Anyway, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. horrible. So no, nah, I yeah no, we
0: don't know. I yeah. mean, I like to think that he looked after them, that he he, he took care of them, with you know, got him a house. You know, gave Something. them gave them a stipend, but right. uh, there's no no school. mention of the history, so yeah. we don't know. Yeah.
1: yeah. So in 1447, Pope Eugenius IV dies, and that's when you were saying Nicholas V comes on. Now they had met seven years before. He's a humanist; they're going to get along. So probably because it was so agree- agreeable, Poggio decides to stay on. And believe it or not, this is his eighth pope that he is working for. But like you were saying, um, now that he's back in the Vatican, he's got rivals or having disagreements. uh, They're insulting each other. And some of these other people that he's fighting with, are humanists. They're not they're not just straight up um Christians. And so there's a lot of rivalries, there's a lot of factions going on within the Vatican, as you would imagine. And so at some point some of these arguments actually turn to fist fights. But the point is he's getting on in years and having this shit to deal with day in and day out. He's probably gotta be thinking, you know, it might be a good time for me to consider a retirement and look at my four oh one K.
0: Yeah. I want to talk a little bit though about this uh, last pope that he served oh, under please. Nicky the V. Right. Uh Nicholas Nicholas the V. Um yeah, as you said a humanist pope. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I struggle with the idea yes. of a humanist Thank pope. You. There there were a few of them though. Right. Uh, and and that's kind of a fascinating thing about this period is you... I mean, all of the humanists were essentially Christians uh, to right. some degree, because being an atheist was uh, the totally. fastest way to end up on the right. wrong end of a rope uh, right. back then. So most most of these guys were Christians, and yet could balance that and being a humanist and, and even popes. Right? So you had this guy... Background uh, his uh, mother married a physician mm. uh, who practiced medicine, and uh, he he the Nikki uh, his father died when he was young. He uh, got a, a, a tutor in Florence. Uh, he was he was uh, uh, teaching uh, mm. the kids of the Strozzi and the Albici family. Um, so he uh, made a lot of good contacts in Florence right. and met a lot of the humanist scholars. So before he's in the church, he's a humanist, is my point. Before mm-hmm. he becomes pope, he's already a humanist. Right. Then he goes on to get a degree in theology and uh, a bishop, niccolo Albergati. Was so impressed with him that he took him into his service, gave him a chance of uh, furthering his studies. He tours through Germany, France, England. Starts collecting humanist books because wow. he was a he was a humanist. He was an intellectual, mm-hmm. but you know you had a career, so you you could be a humanist in the fourteen hundreds. But if you want to. If you want a career, churches one way you can go make money, right? You can get a job, get all the benefices, <laughs> uh, all that kind of stuff. Right. So he um, he just goes up the cursus honorum, basically, of the church, whilst being a humanist at the same time. It's just a job, right? And see, I think this is the point. It's important to understand, as as Poggio was pointing out, these people like the. Priests, bishops, cardinals, monks, popes, abbots, whatever. They didn't believe it was it was a job. Like, it was right. an industry. An opportunity. They didn't. Yeah, they weren't holy holy men, the people that ran the Catholic Church. Yeah. They were shit, fucking kicking, <laughs> bullshit artists, dumbasses, a lot of them, right? According it? to Poggio. Yeah, yeah. They just, uh, they, were, they were useless, and the church was an, o- an opportunity for them to be able to make money without having to do much except, you know, read from a book, stand up on a podium, and give speeches about shit they knew nothing about, according to Poggio. No. So, but, but Nicholas was actually an intellectual, he was a humanist, and uh, did well. So, he, end, he ends up going up the Cursus Sonorum, becomes a bishop. Uh, blah 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 blah, and and gets elected pope at the papal conclave of 1447 to succeed Eugene the Fourth. Right. So uh, here and and so here we have an intellectual humanist pope who actually does a lot to support the Renaissance. Did you read much about like what he did? No. Tell me. Well, when you, when we were in Rome and in uh, Florence, uh, mm. I saw his name on a lot of things. He was a big patron of uh, sort of the rebuilding of Rome, uh. in particular. Because remember, you know, Rome Rome had been fallen into ruins. I Remember, a yes. hundred years earlier, um, when Petrarch first went to Rome, he was like, "Oh shit, this, this is fucked, doubt. right? This is." Yeah. Yeah. What <laughs> <laughs> a fucking dump. It's a dump. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, uh, when when Nicky, Nicky the Five takes over 100 years later, 1447, he's going to make a big effort to rebuild Rome. So, you have a an intellectual humanist pope who appreciates right. antiquity who's going to try and rebuild Rome. So, yeah. He held a jubilee at Rome. Remember, we talked about jubilees where you mm-hmm. know, sort of create a reason for pilgrims to come to Rome. Right. Um, in 1452, he crowned Frederick III as Holy Roman Emperor at St. Peter's, which was the last imperial coronation held in Rome. Wow. And he kind of introduced the spirit of the Renaissance, both intellectually and architecturally in Rome. Wanted to rebuild everything. Um, And he... um, Let's see here. He started to pave the main streets. He started to restore the water supply. Mm. He rebuilt the uh, Aqua Virgo aqueduct, which had been built by... Um, Agrippa, I don't know. Agrippa, he restored Boom! Agrippa's Aqua Virgo aqueduct. <laughs> Good guess there. Thank you. <laughs> aqueduct, probably a, probably Agrippa. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. He he res, uh, restored it, and it emptied into a, a basin that uh, Leon Battista Alberti designed, which was the predecessor to the Trevi Fountain. So where wow. the Trevi Fountain is today, right. that's where the aqueduct spurted in. He restored a lot of the major Roman basilicas and churches. Uh, really, really did a, a huge job at restoring Rome. He was one of the main guys that right. invested a shit ton in making Rome great again. That was his motto. He had a little red cap made. Rose, badass. Mur- murga. Make <laughs>
1: Rome great again. Paul and Augustus
0: he got a lot of yeah he got a lot of criticism for his expenditure the amount of money that he spent on that a lot of people compared him to Solomon Um, but you know his thing was well it's this is all to whatever the glory of God and the good of the church and blah 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 Uh, now when we were in Vatican I know we and a lot of the people who were with us were sort of disgusted at the lavishness of the Vatican and the mm-hmm. wealth and all of that kind of stuff inside right. of it, <clears throat> but what Nicholas was doing, I think, was you know generations before that he was he was just trying to rebuild Rome because um, uh, it had, it was uh, hold on <coughs> sorry choking mm-hmm. um yeah he was trying to restore. Rome because uh, it, it had been in decline for a thousand years so he did spend a lot of money but it was mostly just to, to rebuild right. it. and so consequently his name is on a lot of stuff I remember seeing fountains and monuments with Nicholas V. Ah. I Five I've taken, I took some photos of them when we were uh, walking around I think it was Rome you, remember you and Effie and I yeah. went on that big hike uh, where were we going we were oh going to meet everyone somewhere Was I can't remember Maybe we we're gonna we we're gonna meet them at the uh, the Pantheon. I don't know. Anyway, yeah. we took a photo of, of something there that had Nicholas's uh, name on. it. Nice. Um, and he also uh, had did some work in terms of uh, changing the rules of slavery, um, mm. particularly slavery of. Christians and all of that kind of stuff. Like, that's Muslims are okay, but... Yeah, uh, Jews, yeah. Yeah, but, you know, but not Christians.
1: You know,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah but, not, but not Christians. So anyway, yeah, I'm mostly interested just in terms of the humanist Pope aspect of that. I was like, hmm, yeah That
1: doesn't make sense to me, yes, still. Yes, how does... The,
0: but yeah. Yeah, well, but that's the thing. He was a humanist. But see, that's the thing. The, the Pope is just, uh, it's just a job. Basically, yeah,
1: right. Don't get all worked being up
0: being a uh, yeah in the holy orders was just a, it was just a job. These guys right. didn't have to believe. It was just it Had was a uniform, just a job, man.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Do you still? yeah. Just a yeah. job. Yeah. So. So going back to Paggio for a second, so as he's thinking about uh, retiring, he's a little nervous because retiring and doing your own work and maybe a little bit of book hunting doesn't pay as well as, a, you know, as working for the Pope, but his the Tuscan government tries to help him out as much as they can. They pass a... Um, Revenue bill exempting him and his children from all public taxes. And if you remember the shows we did on uh, Florence before with the uh, who controls the taxes can actually ruin people. So that's a pretty big deal that he's going to be able to save a lot of money. But here's where it gets even better for Paggio, even though he's getting up there in years. In April of 1453, Carlo Marsupini, who was the chancellor of Florence, died. Now, as we all know, the, the, the by this time, the uh, chancellor's position is more of a showpiece for the people who love their republic. The Medicis are the one in control, but still, it's a decent job. It's got great pay. It's got high honors. And people like Salutati and Leonardo Bruni had held the office before, so it's, it's kind of a big deal. And if you are the chancellor and you die in office, you will get one of the most elaborate state funerals possible. And Paggio is 73 at this point. So when he is offered the job, he takes it. Now, he lives through this time because he's chancellor for five years. Didn't do the greatest job in the world. Some of the small stuff slipped uh, between his fingers. But as chancellor, he handled the broad strokes. He did a lot of ceremonial stuff. And he was working on his own projects uh, while he's being the chancellor because he's not spending all of his time being the chancellor. Did you read about, um, or did you read a description of his one work when he was chancellor, The Wretchedness of the Human Condition?
0: Yeah, I did. He sort of talks about the fall of Constantinople to the Turks, and then basically turns it into a sort of a dissertation on how life is tough, basically, (laughs) for everybody. everybody. Catastrophes... (laughs) For everybody, the the human condition basically all life is suffering, to quote the Buddha. Um, And very melancholy. Cosimo turns up in the book. Cosimo says, Well, maybe the popes have a better life. It's all luxurious and easy. Yeah. And then Poggio in the book as a character replies, I am a witness and I lived with them for 50 years. I have found no one who seemed in any way happy to himself who did not bemoan that life is harmful, disquieting, anxious and oppressed with many cares. Wow. So even popes Oops. are miserable according to Poggio. <laughs> he was there. So first-hand account? Yeah. Yeah. What do you, well, I mean, so let's let's stop and talk about yeah. misery. Ray, right? what you know, what do you think about the wretchedness of the human condition?
1: Well, I mean, all of the things we've talked about over the years, you've got, yeah, let's start with Buddha. A lot of misery comes from people desiring things and they can't get those things. And so, therefore, there's miserable mis- misery. There. That's one, one aspect of it. You've got people who put their faith in a God who maybe a little kid's asking for a bicycle and he doesn't get it. Or someone gets sick and you pray to God to cure the sickness and it doesn't happen. And there, there's another um, thing of misery there. It's people who are, I don't know, the more you want, the more you set yourself up for misery, you need to, who was it, um, shit, I can't remember now. But basically, you need to stick to the basics. If you want to minimize your misery, stick to the basics, a small group of friends, have a good time, try not to cause Ah, uh, any shit or attention for other people who don't who then may revisit it on you. It's it's like um, Paggio said. Uh, excuse me, like Lucretia said: live simply, find out what really matters to you, and let the rest of it just go away. I mean, people who are miserable seem to be striving for something they either can't get or shouldn't get, or the at the end of the day, don't get. What is your opinion mm. of misery or the condition the human? Well.
0: Condition? Yeah, I was talking with somebody about this recently. Like, uh, the Buddha famously said that uh, all, um, all life is suffering. Right. And, you know, my, with my philosophy, which is similar to the Epicurean, Stoic, Buddhist philosophy, uh, the, the, the root cause of human suffering, particularly psychological, you know, psychic suffering, emotional suffering, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm is a misunderstanding. It gets back to this core misunderstanding that I talk about in Three Illusions, the illusion of identity. As long as we think of ourselves as being a separate entity, separate from the rest of the universe, with free will, um, who's trying to control our life, the circumstances of our life, that misunderstanding, I believe, is the cause of suffering again talking about not not having a pain in your foot talking about psychological emotional right. suffering existential suffering because you misunderstand what you are and that leads to the suffering and the cure for that suffering which is what the buddha was on about and the uh, epicureans
1: mhm
0: is 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 uh, seeing through that illusion. Oh, okay. Well, really, I'm just made of atoms. And in fact, not just made of atoms, I am all of the atoms. It's all I can possibly be. In the universe, there is only one thing, and that is the universe. All division of the universe into separate objects is the result of you know our senses not being able to see what's really going on. You know, we we don't see at the atomic level we see mm-hmm. a higher level of you know we we our vision only tells us certain level of information we don't right. see what's really going on at the atomic level if we could if our eyes were good enough we would actually see that all of the atoms just blend into one another it's just one big atom soup and but i am that atom soup and now. therefore I am the universe. You know, what right. happens to Cameron should be as irrelevant to me as what happens to an ant on the ground or a cockroach or a tree in Africa mm. or a rock on Mars. They are all just the same atoms inside of the universe. Uh, so you, you stop worrying about what happens to uh the, you know the the illusion of control this particular entity oh, right known as Cameron. Right. Well the control goes with that too. Okay. Right. So um yeah. I've got um I've got some more information on Poggio's book though that okay. this is from uh William Shepard's uh eighteen thirty seven um uh biography on him. Uh, he says, blah, blah, blah. The uh, He calls it On the Unhappiness of Princes, actually, mm. is his um, title for the book, which Poggio published in the year 1440, in which he inscribed to his friend, uh, this is a guy called uh, Tommaso, before his virtues had been brought forward to polite observation by his distinguished humor and great emolument. In this dedication, Poggio notices the common error of men who are so much struck with the pomp and grandeur of the great that they take it for granted that power and magnificence confer on their possessors the gift of true felicity. He observes, however, that those who rise above the level of vulgar intellect ought to be convinced that happiness does not depend upon the external blessings of fortune, but that it is the meed of virtuous dispositions." He professes that it is his object to persuade men of this truth and remarks that a work which is intended to promote this happy end may, with the strictest propriety, be addressed to an ecclesiastic who in the whole course of his conduct has demonstrated that he has studied to be virtuous rather than to be rich or great. Mm, I like that. So, uh, I think in other words... Being rich or famous isn't going to make you happy. Um, we should you know. have to have the right. F- <laughs> you have to have the right philosophy of life, life that's right making happiness. And I don't know how much of this he got from reading Lucretius, mm-hmm. but uh, I, I assume that uh, probably some of it. He says. Um, Uh, According to this biography of him, he actually talks about uh, Niccolo as being unhappy, uh, uses him as an example of somebody who was unhappy, Uh, somebody who was very learned and uh, famous and had a lot of money, but was uh, unhappy, um, discontented in his life. He says... um, on, the co- on this copious subject he dilates at considerable length, proving from history that the best princes are liable to the bitterest woes incident to human nature. Gaining courage as he proceeds, he attempts to demonstrate that eminence of station is unfriendly to virtue. Mm. Examining the conduct of the most renowned chieftains, both monarchs and demagogues, who have rendered themselves sub- <coughs> rendered themselves conspicuous in the annals of the world. He impeaches them of avarice, cruelty, intemperance, pride and unbridled ambition and appeals to his auditors whether men who are thus enslaved by their passions can possibly be deemed happy. Arguing upon the position that man is the creature of the circumstances in which he is placed, he maintains that the possession of uncontrolled authority betrays the powerful into vice inasmuch as it frees them from those whose salutary restraints which are necessary to the confirmation of good principles. Hence, he observes, it frequently happens that men who have adorned a private station by their virtues have become the disgrace of human nature when they have been raised to the summit of power. Damn. He uh, dwells on the vices of exalted rank. So uh there you go. He um, he wrote a, what sounds like a a pretty uh, pretty aggressive book for the times basically saying look being rich and powerful and a you know member of the hierarchy probably yeah. just means that you're an arsehole and is no <laughs> way to right. achieve happiness or be a good member of s- society. Right. But it's this is an astounding book to be written in 1440. <laughs> really yeah. it's uh quite Quite a standing. Need yeah. to need to get a copy of it and uh read it.
1: Yeah. And what what makes it amazing is he goes from writing that to then translating from Greek into Latin the comic novel The Ass. So this guy is all over the place. But I think it shows, one, how well he knows Greek, and two, the range of his mind. And then he writes a history of Florence. So this guy, even though he's in his 70s and even though he's the chancellor, he's obviously still has his mental powers, and he's very, very driven and very good at what he does. And he's able to produce these three very different works in a relatively short term. And then he died. No, he retired from office in April 1458 and he dies October 30th 1459 buried at the church of Santa Croce um, Croce Florence has a statue of him put in front of the Florence's cathedral Santa Maria del Fiore so for a while he had a statue i think there i don't know if there was a painting but the point is he had a statue and as as everything else in in life there he's going to be pushed aside replaced by other people who are um, more popular or more famous. I don't know how much you want to go into that, but even after he dies and he has the statue, eventually no one's going to know who he is. They're going to walk by his statue in Florence every day. They're going to have no idea who he is, what he did, or what he has contributed to the modern world.
0: Yeah, but, you know, he... he had a huge influence. Um, By the way, the statue that was erected of him later on, when the Duomo, the Santa Maria del Fiore was, uh, the facade was uh, refashioned. The statue was moved to a different part of the building. And now (laughs) it serves as one of the 12
1: apostles. (laughs) (laughs) This guy can't get away from the church. Oh my God. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, he's the guy away. who said you're all a bunch of fucking
0: <laughs> pricks and he's now one of the Twelve Apostles. I love that. <laughs> oh my
1: God. But in 1959, the 50, 500th anniversary of his death, his statue was put in the town square. It was moved in 1959. But again, people probably walk by it and they have no idea what they owe to this man and, and to all the other humanists who came before him and after him.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure some people knew who he was, but most people wouldn't. Yeah, he's yeah. just a guy who did a thing amongst many <laughs> more famous guys, of course, that were to come exactly. after him as a result of of, of what he and Nikolai uh, yeah. and, and Salutati and these guys did. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So the book that he relaunched uh, onto the world... Lucretius's On the Nature of Things is quietly being passed around as far as yes. we can tell. Again, mm. because what it talks about is so controversial and yes. subversive right. to the church, it, it's it's like a it's like fucking the communist manifesto in America in
1: the During the Reagan time fifties <laughs> Oh yeah, even Yeah, once. Well, McCarthy
0: yeah. period or the Reagan time, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, like, you know, you're passing that around under the desk in brown paper bags. Uh, You know, people... I've told you this. I remember sitting in a cafe in... I think it was in New Orleans... Somewhere uh, mm-hmm. decades ago, um, reading—I I can't remember if it was either Iron Rand's *The Fountainhead* or it was Chomsky. One of those I was reading. I got some book anyway. Some some girl came up to me and said something like, "You're brave, openly reading that in public in these parts." Yes, I was like, "Really? Fuck! Well, you can't read a book in America. Not <laughs> you have anyone. to have to yeah. be careful what you have seen reading." Yeah. Uh. uh Actually, I don't know. It might have Republican. been. It could have been anywhere. could have yeah. been Seattle. could have been New York. I can remember. Anyway. Um, so it got passed around. Now, as I said earlier, we, we sort of um, get hints of it uh, from little things that are written that have survived uh, over the next few years. Uh, but 40 years after he died in the uh, late 1400s the dominican mm-hmm. friar girolamo savonarola ruled mm-hmm. florence turned it into a very strict christian oh. republic yes and, like the town uh, we, we, we're gonna do <laughs> yes <laughs> outlaw dancing yes um so this is, people have probably heard of the Bonfire of the Vanities. Right. That was uh, Savonarola. Burn all the books. Yes. Burn all the
1: books. Sodomy um. was now, made a capital crime. The rich were oh, attacked. Like. Singing and dancing. What I would know you have sad. done? I'd, oh my God. Um, <sighs> cried. I don't know. Uh, singing yeah. and dancing were yeah. uh were uh outlawed and like you were saying I mean they they literally his followers went around and they grabbed songbooks, mirrors, cosmetics, musical instruments, sculptures and works of ancient poems and threw them into a large fire at the Piazza della Signoria and as you can imagine I think and I'm and I won't go too much further but as you're as you can imagine during the height of his power in May of 1498 he gives a speech attacking the philosophers
0: yeah i mean he uh he really tried to shut down the renaissance he yes. saw this, this rising humanist movement as evil and corrupt. Mm-hmm. He gave a speech. Uh, I announce this good news to the city, that Florence will be more glorious, richer, more powerful than she has ever been. First, glorious in the sight of God as well as of men. And you, O Florence, will be the reformation of all Italy. And from here, the renewal will begin and spread everywhere. Because this is the navel of Italy. Your councils will reform all by the light and grace that God will give you. Second, O Florence, you will have innumerable riches and God will multiply all things for you. Third, you will spread your empire and thus you will have power temporal and spiritual. So he... Um, he basically said, you're going to be better off. He's basically Donald Trump.
1: Right.
0: Uh, we're going to make Florence great again <laughs> by be- becoming more fundamentalist. Right. Now, it must, uh, Lucretius' ideas, even though there's no evidence that they were being written about or spoken about by any major figure in this period, mm-hmm. they must have taken hold because in in Savonarola's speeches, he urged his listeners to make fun of the ideas of atoms, void, and nothing else. Yes. He mentions it, so it must have been out there. and And it's so scary to fundamentalists like Savonarola that he feels necessary, like the Christians did a thousand years earlier, To shut that shit down before it gets out and people start (laughs) taking it seriously.
1: Yeah, because the people that he's speaking to, these aren't the rich elites, these are the commoners, these are the poor, and that's a part of the story of how he comes to power. And so if he can say this to the common people of Florence and they get the general idea, yeah, someone's talking, someone's spreading, something's going on, Lucretius is getting out there. And even while Savonarola is having his
0: bonfire of the vanities, mm-hmm. somewhere in Florence, a young civil servant was quietly making his own copy of On the Nature of Things <laughs> in case all the other copies got destroyed. He was determined wow. to make sure that it survived. Right. He never wrote about it never mentioned it in any of the famous books he himself went on to write. He was too too cunning for that mm-hmm. but his manuscript of on the Nature of Things survived. His name isn't on it, but in nineteen sixty one his handwriting was identified right and that person was Ray.
1: Niccolo Machiavelli he knew what
0: he was doing. Machiavelli yeah. secretly made his own copy Damn. when he was a young man years before he was powerful and famous and the Chancellor of Florence and all of that kind of stuff he was going to make sure this shit was not going to disappear again like it had once before right. and his copy of Lucretius is preserved in the Vatican Library it must be nice quite quite ironically (laughs) what better place what better place for the book that was rescued from obliteration by poggio the apostolic secretary uh, and and in the wake of his humanist pope nicholas v that this book that was to have such a stunning influence on the Renaissance and the modern world is uh, now preserved in the Vatican Library.
1: God has a sense of humor.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, he doesn't really. I've no. read. I've read the Old Testament. He has no, <laughs> not much. Not much funny no in there. Sense
1: of humor. Okay, got it. No.
0: Yeah. No. No. He try and get a laugh. Tough crowd. God. Uh, <laughs> tough crowd.
1: Okay, the next thing I have is 1484 where the church starts uh, trying to come down. Wait, hold on. Oh, they start giving examples of uh, people who were speaking out against either parts of the faith and they're going to be punished for it. So if you have something before that, please take over.
0: Well, the next mention we see of... Lucretius is in the mid-15th century, another Florentine scholar, Marsilio Ficino, mm-hmm. who was also a Catholic priest and, and one of the most influential humanist philosophers uh, of the 15th century. Um, he's still in his twenties, so deeply shaken by on the nature of things that he wrote a commentary. On it, and he referred to the author as our brilliant Lucretius. Wow. But after he'd written it, he kind of came to his senses <laughs> and <laughs> threw it in the fire. Damn. So I, I don't know how we know about this, but right. uh, there you go. Somebody he must have told somebody yeah, uh, that he down. wrote a commentary on it. But uh, yeah, he was, his father was a physician under the patronage of Cosimo, who Mm -hmm. took the son into his household and became his patron. Uh, The son, Ficino, was the tutor to Cosimo's grandson, Lorenzo de' Medici. So he, he... Had uh, some humanist uh, background and when Cosmo decided to re-found Plato's Academy in Florence (laughs) he chose Ficino as the head of the Academy so he he was uh, quite a he was both a Catholic priest and a humanist scholar wrote a lot of books um, but uh, yeah decided write, yeah. writing a commentary on Lucretius was probably pushing <laughs> pushing the boundaries. Not a good career, um, interest. Interestingly, Ficino introduced the term and concept of platonic love mm. uh, in a letter... Uh, he wrote in 1476. Wow! And then continued. He wrote a he wrote a book called *De Amore*. Okay. He said, uh, "You know, there can be uh, a platonic love." Right. Uh, and he wrote he wrote love letters in Latin to a man. Here we go, Giovanni. Cavalcanti Right Who was in a who was a a Florentine poet. He's gay. Uh, Well yes. (laughs) Basically he he liked to travel on the dirt highway. Um, uh, But but uh you know he maybe didn't didn't travel the dirt highway. He actually wrote a book where he condemned sodomy but also right. wrote love letters to mm. at least one man and was was known to be a homosexual but not an active homosexual right. it's a bit like the um bit like uh how the mormons right today uh, i'm not sure about the catholics but the mormons still say this about homosexuality it's fine to be a homosexual, as long as you don't do anything about it. <laughs> right. Thanks. Yeah. I think about it. Yeah. So, but he introduced the term of platonic love. Uh, mm. I love you, but I'm not going to stick my dick in you. <laughs> That's because fair. Because that would
1: be wrong. That's fair. Mm. Yeah. So, um, as you, uh, I think we said this previously in the last show, we don't know what Paggio's opinion of Lucretius was. Was it destroyed? Was he smart enough to not to write it down? Did he purposefully stay aloof? I mean, obviously it took him years to be able to read the damn book, but even after that, did he stay aloof from it because maybe he didn't want to threaten his job at the church? He wanted to still be free to look for books. Uh, maybe he didn't want the harassment of trying to defend himself because he did still have enemies, even late into his life. So we don't know what he um, what he really thought. And because Lucretius is getting out there, you know, like you were saying, almost like under the table or whatever, and people are starting to talk about it. And it seems to be to some degree out there in the general consensus where you can make a joke about it or you can reference it and people get generally that you're talking about atoms and what they are. Um, so it's getting out there. And with this in mind, the church is really starting to, um, to feel this and, and they're starting to react. So for those who start to speak up, or show that reading Lucretius or that the idea of Lucretius has affected their views, they are going to be punished by the church. In 1484, the Florentine poet Luigi Pulci was denied a Christian burial for denying miracles and describing the soul as no more than a pine nut and hot white bread. So again, the church is very big on there's a reward or punishment after death. The soul is eternal if you deviate from that we're going to come down on you as hard as we can because that is the very basis of the religion and that's how they hold you by a reward or punishment after death mm. so it's start it's getting started so i'm not sure it's yeah i'm not sure what the pine nut
0: in hot white bread thing has to do with lucretius exactly but he was Denying uh, miracles and right. uh, you know basically dismissing the soul as not important, I guess, is right. what that's saying. So yes. probably influenced uh, by Ep- the Epicureans. Then in December 1516, almost 100 years after Poggio <laughs> rediscovered uh, Lucretius, the Florentine Synod, which was a highly influential group of high-ranking clergyman officially prohibited the reading of Lucretius in schools. So you know you've made it when your book has been banned. (laughs) So, uh, like, you know, our podcast. My goal is for our podcast to be banned.
1: Oh, yeah. I'm sure we are. uh, Like
0: Alex Jones. Right. Yeah. Um, but for the right reasons, you want to be banned for the right reasons, not the wrong right. reasons. For the right reasons, right? Yes. Too it's edgy. Important. Yeah. Um, yeah. Not for not for saying that the parents of bereaved schoolchildren are uh, crisis actors. Um, now, uh, you know the, the 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 clerics described Lucretius as a lascivious and wicked work, mm. in which every effort is used to demonstrate. The mortality of the soul. Yeah. People who violated the ban were threatened with a fine of ten ducats and eternal damnation.
1: Mm. There's not an either or. No, no, both. (laughs) Both. Okay. Uh,
0: (laughs) I'd be like, well, fuck it. If I'm already, (laughs) you know, if (laughs) if I'm already damned.
1: Woo. Just add it on.
0: Gonna go Throw out in style. Of the yeah. Yeah.
1: Now they Why don't I just poetry... stab you
0: to death?
1: Exactly.
0: <laughs> I can just stab you to death rather than pay the fine because I'm already damned anyway. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, you might want to rethink that. <laughs> you might want to rethink that punishment because I just. Through. I'll just go medieval on your ass, you know,
1: step, step. Hmm. Now the people, the clergymen, did admit the poetry was beautiful, but that wasn't the point. Obviously the ideas are very dangerous because even they can recognize the purity and the beauty of the Latin from, you know, what 2000 years ago or not 2000, um, 1500 years ago. So again, um, but they're they're wary of the ideas within the beauty of the poem.
0: And this is, you know, this is an argument that um, I have with Christians from time to time. There's a certain breed of ignorant Christian that likes to say things like, well, Christianity and science aren't in com- competition with each other. All of the great scientists were Christians in the... You know, sort of 18th, 19th century, uh, right? You know, Newton and Darwin and these sorts of people. Uh, and I have to point out well, technically, you had to be a Christian. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, you put exactly. your career and everything on the line. Right. Maybe not your life by that stage, but certainly, like you weren't going to be burned at the stake for being a heretic. You were in uh, the 1400s, as we know, with Jan Hus and those right. guys burned at the stake for being heretics. And they were still Christians, but burned for being heretics. Uh, Poggio seemed to get away with criticising members of the church, but he wasn't a heretic as such. Right. Uh, but in the in the 19th century even, like if you take uh, Darwin's Day, you wouldn't get burned at the stake in England for being a heretic, mm-hmm. but you could socially... Right. And economically, you would find it extremely difficult. Yes. If you were uh, considered a a non believer or a heretic. Uh, There were huge social implications for being outed as a non believer. But then, you know, you see evidence like this where the church bans books, they're not to be read because the ideas in them are. Uh, heretical. So you can't say, "Well, you know, Christian Christianity loves science." Bullshit. Uh, at the same time as Christianity banning scientific books, which right. is what Lucretius was. It was, right. a, you know, one of the great books on science. Um, you can't have it both ways. Now, the prohibition in Italy might have restricted circulation of it with Italy and and effectively halted the printing of it in Italy. But it was too late. The cat was out of the bag. (laughs) By the time they did that, Lucretius had
1: spread around Europe. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 I think we were touching on this last time. Now, ironically, a lot of the people within the church, many of the priests, were either humanist or had humanist sympathies. After all, the ones who were legitimate priests were, you know, well educated, widely read, and so they would be exposed to a lot of these ideas. Uh, but they don't have a single opinion on. Lucretius, so it's all over the place, and of course the priests were still trying to get it banned. In fifteen forty nine, it was proposed that the poem be put on the index of prohibited books, and uh, so there was a whole thing about that. Was it going, uh, was it going to end up on this list or not? I had no idea of when the index of prohibited books, books that Catholics are forbidden to read, came to an end. Did you know about that when it finally came? When they finally shut it down, because I guess it was just too stupid and too fucking embarrassing to keep that going. Yeah, it was uh, during Vatican II, man, in the 60s. The year I was born, 66. They had a list of books that you couldn't read up until 1966. That, to me, is just fucking insane. The good news is that um, uh, Lucretius is not going to end up on this list because a very powerful man, the commissary general of the Inquisition, steps in and goes, no, people can read it as a fable. And as long as they do that, it doesn't have to be banned.
0: Yeah, but, okay, so you can uh, make fun of the Catholics for banning books um, do you know when Brave New World was allowed to be read in the United States? No, tell me. Aldous Huxley's book? No, tell me. Uh, I don't know. It was banned until, I think, 2003 in places like Texas. Um, uh, what's his face's Texas. book? Uh, um, uh, 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 uh. Fuck, hold oh, on. One of my favourite books and I've got a um mental blank Miller. Henry Miller Tropic uh-huh. of Capricorn. Tropic of oh Capricorn. Tropic of Capricorn and Tropic of Cancer, yeah. Okay. Um it was it was banned in the United States until in 1961, when Grove Press legally published the book in the United States, over 60 obscenity lawsuits in over 21 states were brought against booksellers that sold
1: it. Right.
0: Uh, yeah. In 1950, the director of the American Civil Civil Liberties Union attempted to import Tropic of Cancer along with Tropic of Capricorn to the United States. Uh, Customs detained the novels, and the guy, Bessig, was sued Oh, no, he sued the government for uh, detaining the novels. Um, Mm -hmm. Case went to trial. Uh, Bessig, the director of the ACLU, requested a motion to admit 19 depositions from literary critics testifying to the literary value of the novels and to Miller's stature as a serious writer. The motion was denied by Judge Louis A. Goodman. Case went to trial with Goodman presiding. Goodman declared both novels obscene. Bessick appealed the decision to the Ninth Circuit of Appeals, but the novels were once again declared obscene in a unanimous decision in Bessick versus the United States.
1: Oh, my God.
0: So, there you go. In 1964... Right. In 1964, the U.S. Supreme Court overruled state court findings the Tropic of Cancer was obscene. Good for them. So there you go. Good for them. Uh, yeah, but like it's in the 60s, man. So a lot of stuff was banned in Australia, in the US, in England, uh, and by the Vatican up until the 60s. It wasn't just the church that was banning stuff. Right. I mean, uh, you I know, obscene or science. Science is obscene to some people. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, so there you go. So uh, and, and this keeps going. Um, the commissary General of the Inquisition, Michele Ghisleri, opposed calls for the suppression of on the Nature of the Things. He listed Lucretius as one of those pagan books that could be read, but only if they were read as fables.
1: Yeah, take the stuffing out of it. Shift Which is a table. nice
0: get-out-of-jail-free yeah. card. That's exactly. why we read the Bible today. That's yeah. I tell my kids. Stories. Uh, but then, on the London stage in the mid-1590s, in a little play called Romeo and Juliet, <laughs> Mercutio teases Romeo with a description of Queen Mab, where he says, She is the fairy's midwife, and she comes in shape no bigger than an agate stone, on the forefinger of an alderman, drawn with a team of little atomi athwart men's noses as they lie asleep. A team of little atomi. By the time Shakespeare is writing in 1590s in uneducated England... Right. He assumes that his audience, who are also mostly illiterate and uneducated, will understand what he means by atoms, uh, an unimaginably small object. So between 1417 and 1590-something... Right. The concept of Adams has gone from gone forgotten about <laughs> to Shakespeare can write it in a pay a play for the public masses in England, yes, where I get it you know, yeah, yeah, where people in in Poggio's time were so dumb, even the most learned people in the country he found appallingly uneducated and unsophisticated. Wow. So there you go the, the the it took time like all these things with yeah. the renaissance like the these this reawakening of these ideas they didn't happen overnight took time for a whole bunch of reasons you know books were hard to come by people weren't literate printing had to come about right. distribution systems people had to learn how to fucking read <laughs> church had to get out of the way you know exactly. books like this had to be underground but yeah. thanks to Poggio and Boom. Nicky the Nixter, these right. things, and, and Niccolo Machiavelli, these mm. things, this, these ideas of atoms, science, the soul either not existing or dying when you die, so what's the point of worrying about the afterlife? Gods don't care about humans if they exist at all. These ideas right. started to proliferate, and they built, and they built, and they built.
1: Yes. And, and science can back up and so much of what Lucretius wrote in 50 or 55 BCE. It's amazing.
0: And that is the end of that.